Hello, everyone, and welcome to Interview with the Horror Virgin. I'm your host, James Brooks, and with me tonight I have... Hi, my name's Sarah. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing tonight? Good, how are you, James? Good, good. So before we get to the uh, nitty-gritty questions, give us your, your horror background. I ask all my guests what, what horror started and where are you at now with horror? Horror really started when I was, I think I was like 10 or 11, and my brother's 16th or 13th birthday, something around there, he would wanted to watch Freddy versus Jason. Mm-hmm. And of course, my parents were like, no, you can't watch it. It's too scary. Well, of course, my little bitch ass was hiding and watching it anyway. And I was horrified, but also like extremely fascinated. And it just kind of went from there. So name a few of the horror films that you, other than like Freddy vs. Jason, that you like some iconic ones um, that you can think of right now. Pet Cemetery is number one, honestly. The old one. Let's not even get into the piece of shit that was the new one. We won't, I digress. Original Pet Cemetery will always put fear into my soul, no matter how many times, no matter how many, how many years pass. And I'm like, well, I'm going to watch it and maybe I won't be scared of it anymore. No, that shit still gets me to my core. And it's fucking Zelda. You've seen Pet Cemetery. Yes, I have. Okay, so it's the, it's the sister, the sick sister, who's like, Rachel. Oh, the fucking, yes. and it was played by like this man because like, so they really chose some this man who, I mean, pretty much looked emaciated and then they made him look even more emaciated. And then he just fucking contorted his body in such a like exorcist type way. I just, I can't get, I can't get with that. It is a good one. I will admit it's it, Stephen King films are still, they, they're hit and miss with some of us, but he does have some really, yes. really Really good ones. And maybe we'll do some with Stephen King later down the line. But you would say that's like maybe one of your favorite horror films that you've seen? Oh, yes. Absolutely. What about a favorite genre of horror? Is it like something that you mm, drift towards a lot? I, as stupid as it sounds, I really love a good jump scare. Now, not like the entire movie from beginning to end as mm-hmm. a jump scare. But if you really get me where it's truly a surprise and not like, okay, there's definitely someone who's... Based on the camera angle, there's definitely going to be someone right there. And rawr! Oh, God. So, I love psychological thrillers. And then the jump scares. No, it's fine. I just meant, you know, you uh, people have their own, like, you know, taste with some, like, horror genres. I mean, like, you got your slashers, the classic ones. You got your oh, space horrors. You got your, your gore. You got your torture porn type stuff, which some people either like or they don't like. <laughs> I really do have a hard-on for Wes Craven. I really do. I, I just... I know, I know we've talked about this separately, Yes, but I, I really just, I love, I love his shit. But you know what I love even more that you and I definitely share a love for is satire horrors. Like our, our, ja- our dear Jack Frost. Yes. The, the horror films that are so bad that they're good type thing. You know, they've had fun with them, even though you know how bad they are. It's like, Blow you know what? Me. Oh God. Maybe, I don't know if we'll ever see Jack Frost. Maybe we'll do it again when the holidays come around. Yes. Depending on my mood and everything. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, yes. So, what do you think makes a horror film? I'm going to get very, like, professory with this one episode, okay. guys. Like, we're going to go straight on to the whole, for those of us who paid attention in film class, we're going to get very mise-en-scene. Okay. Very fancy. I think what makes a horror film is, number one, the way that any film makes a good point of it makes you think. Of something other than just the basic plot. So, you know, you have the big picture, obviously. And if you think about anything of subtitle, you know, sub subjects of that main plot, I think you've done at least part of your job. So I definitely think that no matter where you're watching it, after you're done, it makes you terrified to take that first step of like, if you're leaving your living room to go to bed. If you're leaving a movie theater to go to your car, what have you. If there's that instill of what you just watched, oh my God, could that happen to me? Okay, I like that. <laughs> to even go further with the question, let's say, let's think of like, you know, all the technical stuff that makes horror. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Camera angles, lighting, mm. color. Color, I think, is very important in horror films. What do you think about that with color in horror films? Do you think colors are something that you've paid attention to that much in horror films? That's a really good question. It, it, it is something that we don't think about because no. the, the, one, the one color that we always think about the moment we see a horror film is... Red. Red. And yeah. what do we associate red with? Blood. Blood. So yeah. do you think color is something that is not really touched on in horror films? 
I'd really have to marinate in that because I, I, I think that now that you've said it, I'll probably see it a lot more mm -hmm. and appreciate it a lot more. I definitely think that it's probably underrated in a lot of older films just because they didn't have a lot. But now that I'm thinking about it, the Freddy movies definitely had a lot of color. I think it almost stimulates your brain more of the fear because there's a lot going on. You know, what stimulates, I mean, not to say that we're all children, but like what stimulates a child's brain? Lots of big colors and stuff like that. So, huh. Okay, good. Maybe we'll come back to that. We know we'll yeah. ask it now, but we'll come back to it again. Yeah. Now, for the film that she is going to be watching tonight is the 1977's Dario Argento, Suspiria. Suspiria is Latin for size or a whisper. Okay. So it, it, it's a very interesting thing. Dario Argento is very famous because he's a great Italian horror film director. He's done a bunch of stuff. He's done a film called Demons that most people don't know about. Well, he helped with Demons. He didn't direct it. Mm -hmm. But he's very well known in Italy. The interesting thing about this film is he originally wrote the script for 12-year-olds. Like, he wanted to cast 12-year-olds for this. That's He wanted the story to be about this. However, his father said, it's good, but you're going to get this film, it's going to get banned because of all the violence that's in it. And okay. nobody really wants to see somebody that's 12 in these type of situations. And the script was rewritten, was not rewritten, excuse me, was not rewritten at all. So there are going to be some points in this film that you are going to pick out the naivete of them. Okay. Because he, he bumped the age up to 20 years old. So when some of the actresses are going to be talking to the film, you are going to pick up on the whole, okay, yeah, I can see a 12-year-old talking Saying like that. this. Okay. And you'll also pick up on the fact that he, since he couldn't do the 12-year-olds, if you look at some of the set design, he moved the doorknobs up to kind of like, you know, have that simulation of a child grabbing onto a doorknob. What an intricate detail. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, it really is an interesting thing about it. What do you think about music in horror films? Do you think that's ever really something? Oh, it's so huge. Oh, it's so huge. I mean, tr not to go all basic, but I mean, two notes and you have a villain. Mm -hmm. Jaws. Ba-da. It instills even more of your nerves. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. If anything, I think that even if you don't have a good script or maybe not a good plot or everything, you know, if everything is subpar about your film, at the very least, if your music is just on point, I will at least enjoy myself thoroughly. It becomes very iconic. It's like yes. with like the Halloween series. When you hear that little jingle on the dun, piano, dun, dun. Yes. it becomes something that's just played in your head. Whether the movie's going to be bad or not, the moment you hear the Halloween theme, it's like, I love it. I want it. Yes. And another thing I was going to talk about with Suspiria, it was a three-part film, but they weren't sequels. Follow me on this. I know okay. you're, you're confused. How it started, because Dario Argento wanted to have three movies. One, the first one is Suspiria. The second one you saw as you were going through it was called Inferno. Yeah. That's the second part. And then the third part came out in 2007 called Mother of Tears. And it's all about the three mothers in this storyline. They okay. really don't have any recollection of the previous films. They just talk about all the three mothers. And it's, it's interesting because okay. I really... I really enjoy that he did that in a three-part. So could you watch any of the three and... Well, obviously you could watch the first one and it'd be fine. But could you watch any of the two, the second or third part and not need to watch the other two? You might need to watch Suspiria for Inferno because they mention a character in Suspiria. Okay. And it makes sense. It's, like it's almost a throwaway line with it. Right, but, but you, those who have seen it would get it. They, they know, oh, these films are connected some way. Not like, oh, this is a continuation of Suspiria. No, they live in the same universe. It's just that it's taking place somewhere else. Yeah. And director, since we were on music real quick, the Argento composed the creepy music with the band called Goblin. It's an Italian band. Love and it. they played it at full blast, the music, to really unnerve the actors on set. Oh my God. Yeah, they had to because it was, you, you heard a little bit of it in the trailer. They played that full blast to really get that unnerving feeling, that anxiety building up in them for the film. And it worked. And another thing that they did, which you noticed when you were talking about colors, Dario Argento had his cinematographer Luciano Tavoli watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarves to have him model the color scheme of that film with Suspiria. Oh my god, I'm in love. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff that went into Suspiria, and it also stars Jessica Harper. For those of you who have not heard of Jessica Harper, I, if any one of you, have you seen Phantom of the Paradise? No. Phantom of the Paradise, 
I'm gonna go off on a bit of it here, is a Rocky Horror type film that came before Rocky Horror, but unfortunately it got overshadowed by Rocky Horror. Not that I'm uh -huh. saying Rocky Horror is, you know, overrated or anything. It was just, right. unfortunately, it did. And she, that was her direct, that was her acting debut. Mm -hmm. She was great. She has an amazing voice. And Argento picked her because he said he liked her eyes. She has very big eyes, very expressive eyes. And that's why he chose her for this because he had his girlfriend originally scripted to play the leading girl, who is also the screenwriter for the film Suspiria. So a lot of family is involved with the film Suspiria. Oh, such an Italian. It, it it's it's, involved the whole family. It really is Italian. I didn't okay, want to bring just, that up. I'm not barking. I'm not bagging on Italians. I'm Sicilian. It's fine. <laughs> The one thing about this film that is a bit of a drawback for some film people is that it is dubbed. But by dubbed, I mean when Jessica Harper was on set, she said since the filming was going to be dubbed after principal photography, sound was rarely recorded during shooting. Harper remarked that it was strange to hear her to be in the middle of a shooting, and then all of a sudden she hears music in the not music she hears tools in the background. They had, a, it, was a, it was a technical issue they were oh. having. So they literally had to record everybody's dialogue again. So when you see it, you can see it doesn't really sound natural. They're inside of a room, but it sounds really, really quiet. Okay. And you can also tell when there's some actors who are German in a town, because it was a mix of people. There were so many, it was a mixing pot of people in this whole film. Because mm -hmm. Harper said, you really didn't understand a lot of people because everyone was either speaking Italian, some people were speaking German, but she managed to get everyone to tell her to, you know, what to do, how to do it, and all that. But it was very interesting. Now, for the next part, when you, I'm getting a lot technical with this because it's a very, very beautiful horror film. When you get to the exterior of like, when you see the dance academy, which I'm not going to spoil too much about like what it looks like. Okay. Though constructed on a studio lot in Rome, the film is based on the Haus zum Wolfisch, which is translates to Whale House, a landmark late Gothic building in the old town of Freiburg in Breisgau, Germany. It's very iconic. I yeah. looked at the picture of it. It's, it's very, very beautiful. Okay. Now, how do you feel about some remakes in films? Let's go back to a little bit of questions real quick. Oh, God. I would rather someone do a complete reimagination rather than a remake. Now, let me clarify. For example, I love, for, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going with this because I, I can't help it. It was so bad. Anyway, I love Nightmare on Elm Street, all of them. Even though it was a bit dodgy in the middle, Wes Craven really was like, let me just like, <laughs> Beautiful. Um, let me just, you know, Whatever comes out, comes out. I love how he ended everything, though, with the final chapter was brilliant. I loved every second of it. 2010, Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Jackie Earl Haley. So, Jackie, love him as an actor. In Watchmen, fucking brilliant. He is a brilliant actor. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say he was a bad Freddy. He was, he was pretty good. I just, I like Robert better. But... It was the entire thing of it was so focused that he was a child molester. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, I liked the fact of the old ones where there was that hint of, is he wrongfully murdered and looking for vengeance? Or was he rightfully murdered and still looking for vengeance? Even Either way, the whole concept is revenge. But I just, the mat, I, I could not stop harping over Jackie's fucking prosthetic mask that looked like it came from a spirit Halloween and someone was like all right let's make sure we put this as close to your skin as possible so here's some spirit gum let's rub it all over your face and slap it on looks like melted cheese almost. it really did it fucking hell just that alone was ruined for me so you say that there is an art to doing remakes it's just that yes when you don't put some thought into it it kind of ruins the original a little bit you don't pay yes. you don't pay homage to the original exactly now what uh there was one that there was something we had watched recently and they paid homage to so many different things about the original and i was like it was perfect i loved it no i, I understand and Back in 2014, when this film was, when the remake for Suspiria was announced, a lot of people, including myself, was very, very skeptical. But the director, who was the first director of it, because he, they announced it back in 2008, who the director was going to be. His name is David Gordon Green, but he dropped out because of budget concerns and legal issues. Mm -hmm. But in September of 2015, a filmmaker named is Luca uh, Guadagnino was announced as the new director. However, during an interview, he stated that this version was a very personal interpretation 
of Suspiria and not a remake, saying it is impossible to remake Dario Argento's film, Suspiria. See, that is perfect. Yes. I haven't even seen this, and I already respect the fact that that was his take. Absolutely, and I have seen the remake of Suspiria. It's it's not it's not bad. It's not what I expected, but again, when I heard that it was his interpretation of it, I'm like, okay, I see bits and pieces of the original, but he's interpreted his own way. Mm-hmm. And I was talking this earlier with her because she saw... She didn't know which version we were watching, and I said we're watching the old one. But the new one, I think, is a great feminist empowering film. Yes, it still has some horror aspects to it, but with the source material that's given to them in this day and age, I think it's absolutely, it's excellent. So definitely something people should go and check out. Back to the thing at hand. Since we were talking about like some things that creep you out, what scares you the most in a horror film? I don't know if it necessarily scares me the most I definitely it it definitely sends chills down my spine with the type of villains who are like everything's fine what do you mean it's it's everything's fine there wasn't a dead body over there the the psycho manipulation of gaslighting but you're like almost like smiling about it almost like the like creepy grandma that's like what do you mean I almost hurt you? There's cookies in the oven. Go look. It's and then you like cult-like. shove them in the oven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That cult, that like... Um, oh God, the, the cult the, mentality, yes. The, the shine that's over people's eyes when yes. they talk to you, something like that. So that's what creeps you out. Yes. Now with foreign, since this is a foreign film, mm-hmm. how do you feel about like horror foreign films? Just like from anywhere where it's not focused too much like on the Italian aspect of it. But do yeah. you think like horror foreign films aren't given enough credit? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because there are things that they think of, like, uh, for example, there was this Netflix series, I think it was spelled Aries, but they pronounced it, they pronounced it different in the show. And so my husband and I, we were like, okay, this looks really cool. It was a, I think it was also a German forum, but it was a, it wasn't a film, it was episodes. So it was a, it was a TV show. And Within the first five minutes, there was this huge shock factor of it was like this girl who was going to school. There was no dialogue. It was just music over a bunch of scenes. And within the first like three to five minutes, all of a sudden this girl, well, I don't want to ruin it, but this moment happens where you're like, holy fucking the surprise factor, like the true that was so out of left field for the first five minutes of the film. I feel like there's so many creative features. We don't give enough credit to outside themes mm-hmm. of like what's scary, you know, typically scary in America, you know, our sort of like niche, if you will, is definitely not the niche in Italy or Germany or Japan. I mean, Japanese horror is a whole other fucking beast. Yes, I will agree as well. Japanese horror is in its own own field because Absolutely. if you think about it, they, they borrow a lot from the occult and folklore, yeah. which Japanese is rich for. And I've seen my plenty of Japanese films and a lot of them have to do with, you know, spirits and all this stuff. But the way they shoot it is actually very scary. And maybe in the future, I'll have somebody watch Takashi Miike's audition. That, no. that title already just has me unsettled. Oh, boy. I don't know if I could <laughs> put you through that. Uh, there's a lot of method acting in there. That put me in, even, coach. <laughs> I would never do myself method acting-wise that that woman put herself through. But, but to wrap things up, when we were talking about foreign films, let's also get a little, you know, social with some of these stuff in horror films that yeah. we don't really think about. What are your thoughts on female horror antagonists? Elaborate. Like, for instance, we see a lot of, like, look at Friday the 13th, the okay. old one. The giveaway is a woman. Right. And we don't really think about women being these these horror icons at mm-hmm. the time because she got un, she got overshadowed by Jason when Jason came along. Right. What do you think is it that we don't give credit to to female antagonists in like, you know, horror film? Because think about it. We don't see that much when it comes to like horror, like women with horror. As far as them being the bad guys? As far as them being the bad guys. I mean, it's weird. I'm on a weird part about this as far as my train of thought because if we're going from a societal stance men suck (laughs) not all men i know that Mm -hmm. but for once in horror it's always it's always a lot of men that Mm -hmm. are the bad guys and so when it is a female i almost feel like it's a little bit empowering as weird as that sounds because either we're portrayed as in if there's a male antagonist or killer whatever we're portrayed as here's my titties now i'm gonna die (laughs) 
And yeah. And then very rarely are we the final girl. Now, we all know who our true final girl is. Jamie Lee Curtis. Fucking love her. But she's, I mean, she, but she's the only iconic final girl. Everyone else is like, oh yeah, you were in that movie. Cool. Good for you. But I mean, when they're the antagonist, it's almost... It almost makes you think even more, why am I so surprised at she being the antagonist? Because for years and years and years, Freddy versus Jason, you know, Freddy, Jason, which you're right. I mean, Mrs. Voorhees was the original killer. And to be honest, I really would have liked if they just kept it like that and just continued her old fucking ass, continuing to just absolutely brutal, like murder all these people. I don't know. No, it's just an interesting question because I meant like um, it's something that I think men fear a little bit when you think about it. Are you it. scared of me, James? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think it's just something that we don't see because men, we're not used to being the ones that are, we're either with the survivors being chased by a male killer yep. or we are the killer. Yeah. But when we have a female antagonist as the killer or a group of females as the antagonist, it really makes you think. It shows, like, you know, why we, we portray them as evil in the first place when in we went the subject matter. I don't want to give too much away for the film. That if I took the, the whole concept that it was doing and you bring it to today's times, you see that it was very patriarchy on why we view it like this yes. with this concept in this horror film that we have elaborated on just a little bit more from now to the 90s with a certain film that we'll talk about in the second half, and then another one that was done by A24. So, yeah. Any final thoughts, Sarah, before we get started? Uh, no, I'm really excited, though. You are? All right, yeah. cool, cool. All right, guys, we'll join you back in a little bit. All right, welcome back, guys. Sarah just finished watching Suspiria. Okay, I need you to never whisper again. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, give us your give us your whole experience. How are you feeling right now after seeing it? It is definitely not what I thought it was going to be at all. And I sincerely had so much anxiety, <laughs> so much anxiety watching it. And, and going back to a point when you asked, you know, what scares me the most? Fucking whispering. Fucking whispering. Like, and you know what? And I should have thought about that because even in like the second Harry Potter where the basilisk is saying kill kill fucking terrifying oh my god the beginning um i mean and i have to remember and what i do less criticism about because you know i was not alive during the 70s of course but uh just jessica harper yes she is a fucking adorable i love her but in the beginning i laughed really hard though because her hailing down a fucking taxi <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it was it was definitely that very big damsel in distress energy, but I, I I developed more of a of a care for her. It was so not confusing because I mean it's very direct. Like once you get to the end, it's like oh, I, I, it's a nightly a nicely wrapped bow. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. But during that time, I mean, you really you truly are like. What is the meaning of this? What's going on with this? And I mean, by the time you reach the end, there, and, and I love the fact that there's no big, what's the word? How do I put this? There's no like big, dramatic, huge, mo like there is with the, the main witch, like the, the. Helena Marcos. Yes, Helena Marcos. There's that big moment with her, but there's no, I don't know, there weren't over dramatics about it. It was precisely to the point. It made it good. And holy shit, bringing back fucking Sarah from that table with that giddy, un ugh, unhinged laugh. It gave me very Evil Dead vibes, mm -hmm. which I, I love. And the music stops the moment the door opens, I too. The music. The goddamn music. I, I swear to God, I can see this in the future. If you ever come at me in the dark with that music playing, I swear to God, you will lose your life. And these poor viewers will no longer have a podcast host because I could see you doing some shit like that. Yeah, like I said, the music was meant to cause all that anxiety from beginning to yes. end. Now, what really enticed me that this there was such an effort through this entirety of it, and especially made in the 70s, filming in such a low light, dark settings for... 85% of the movie was in some sort of dark, ill-lidded area 
you could still see, which is such a challenge even to this day, which is crazy to me because I'm like, y'all, it's 2022. Can we get some sort of lighting? And ambient lighting, please. But this, I mean, the changing of the colors and I, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm still, I'm probably going to have nightmares. It's a very, <laughs> again, like I was saying, it's a very beautiful, artistic horror film. Yes. Which is what we don't see because most of the time horror has a very basic formula. Yes. That. And I love that they didn't spoon feed. That's the other thing I love about foreign films is they really don't spoon feed, spoon feed anything. Oh, no, they don't. They're like, figure it the fuck out. And if you don't, watch it again. And you sure as shit, if you don't get it the first time, you will watch it again. Oh, it is. It's one of those films that I watch every now and then. And like I said, the interesting part is it's a three-part for three-part series, I guess. I you really want to watch the other two parts. Inferno, I highly recommend Inferno. It, now, I will say with Inferno, you might have to watch it once or twice. Okay. Just to really pick up on some of the Suspirian stuff in there because they don't mention, they, they call it Suspirium, the three mothers. And Helena mm. Marcos is mentioned as one of the three mothers. Okay. And she's Mother Suspirium, hence the whole Suspiria. But to really, to get this started, let's talk about the thing that really sets everybody off at the very beginning of the film, the first death. Yes, that was literally what was going to be my next thing is... That, it was a little, I will say, it was a little bit drawn out, but I feel like I say that because I just did not want to be in that suspense any longer. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, come on, something happened, something happened, because I'm dying here. Not as much as the bitch who actually did die. But the, the oh my God. Honestly, my favorite part was, because I was like, why does he have, what is he doing to her side because I mean other than her being stabbed he had that cable or whatever it was and I was like what the fuck is that for like what do you what are we doing and then she falls through and it perfectly just nooses her I stunning it is it's a very it almost has like it's a formula like a step-by-step step of the death yes being stabbed to death he's they're they're tying her up and once everything like falls through the music stops the screaming stops and it just goes from instant death because she's pretty much dead to where you see that her friend is dead as well. Yes. And it just, Argento did that on purpose because then it, you are constantly waiting what's going to happen, what's going to happen. He's setting the stakes so high to really get you on the whole, okay, this is where he set the bar for a death. What's yes. going to happen next? And it was apparently working because, you know, there was some other stuff that you weren't expecting to happen. Yeah. I, oh God, the, the eyeballs though. The all of a sudden eyeballs, because I mean, obviously, as the viewer, you're like, bitch, get away from the window. If you're so scared, get away from the window. But at the same time, curiosity kills the cat. And it literally did with her. It, yes, it literally it did. literally did. Now, let's go through all the deaths. Since we talked about the first one, with the next big one has to be with the blind pianist. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. First of all, the dot, like... The dog itself, like you're in anticipation because all of a sudden I got this theory of, okay, what if these are some sort of like things on top of churches? Oh my God. Gargoyles. Are, thank you. I thought it was some sort of like gargoyle thing because it had that really awesome cinematic flight pan where it goes like from the top of whatever that downtown or tower building was and it like zooms over him and like drops in front. So I was like, okay, obviously something's about to kill him. The very last thing on my fucking radar was the goddamn dog because the dog bit that little children of the corn fucker, whatever his name was, that little nephew blonde bitch, hated him, <laughs> hated him. I hope he got rabies from that fucking dog bite, that little fucker. He said not a goddamn word during nope. this movie. He said not an entire word during this entire film, and I hate him that much. <laughs> I hate him that much. But no, I I was wondering, and that's what I like is when it makes you think, it comes up with this whole theory of what's going on, and obviously you're either right wrong or a little bit of both. So when the housemaid and children of the corn fucker start walking towards and it pans from the dog to them, the dog to them, and I'm like, if they kill this service dog, we're about to fight. But then Lady Tremaine, Russian, the typical 
typical ballet teacher. It's so funny that you're like, do those people still exist? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. In 20 years, I've experienced one and I'm like, you're not that big of a bitch, but you Do they dress really... like that as well? The whole, the, um, the dolled up look, very professional? The older ones do. If the younger ones have the same attitude as like the older typical ones, they're very dressed modern. They're either in a leotard themselves or sometimes a pantsuit weirdly but anyway i digress so then she comes in she's like your dog bit the nephew you get out first of all who throws a blind man's cane that's just cold witches bitches <laughs> no not witches bitches but yeah the very last thing in my mind was that dog attacking him and i love when they do moments where sometimes when you can't see something is the richest of all takes and something to see because i mean clearly the dog was chomping down on a like filet mignon or something you know mm -hmm. maybe not that fancy but he was chomping down on something but the imagination of he is quite literally eating his owner and these witches made it happen yes just because they just because they wanted to they were offended because remember what the professor said whatever whoever offends them yes and then let's move on to the next death. The death I think that had you both, you and Preston, just like, you know, tightening up in your seat because it was just, <laughs> it was so much Sarah's death. Oh my God. The, yeah, with Sarah's death, I mean, first of all, I really, I, I really enjoyed that actress. First mm -hmm. of all, it, she, you could really feel the fear within her eyes, her movements. I mean, she really wanted Susie to help her. And I mean, clearly, she just couldn't. I really felt her fear in, I mean, really in everything she does because you have her as not necessarily shy and awkward, but like you find out she was the original, the first girl's death best friend. Like clearly she's terrified of what's going on. And then going up, my only, as we said during when we were watching it, the only thing about her death is I'm like, really girl, you really couldn't have just held that lockdown. I mean, he's really having a struggle, whoever the fuck is, having a real struggle with a straight razor, just popping that shit up. Right. So that was my, oh, that was my only like, really? Okay. But her struggling for so long in the barbed wire is very unsettling. It is, especially because, when you can see it pulling as well. Yes, you can see it pulling on her clothing, her skin, and then like her almost making it and falling back. And like you're really rooting for her, truly. But the most shocking was not just the hand over the, the gloved hand over the mouth, but the cut to her quote unquote throat and just seeing that slice just ooh, ha. visually like it yes have we seen worse being you know this is 77 and we've you know we were grow we grew up with saw yes. but but still it was just like whatever material they used really looked like human skin it did i think they whatever used a piece of like butchered like a piece of pig maybe a piece of pork the skin yeah. looked very like pork like when you cut into it and just kind of flayed open it probably was pork skin it was it was really neat and since you all the deaths and everything out of all three of those deaths which one do you think was the worst i don't know necessarily of the worst i don't know categorize it because they were all really good deaths on a on a, a shock value let's go a with shock value? shock value of like which one had the biggest shock value to you probably the noose the noose. The, the aspect of the noose was really the shock value. Because I thought she was just going to hit the floor and like, you know, they were going to do like a, you know, a watermelon blood splatter kind of thing. No, that bitch was hung. I will say the, out of the entirety of the movie, the most shocking thing was when Sarah, when Helena brings Sarah to life to kill Susie. That shit, I did not expect her to come through the door. I expected Pab Pablos. Pablo's fucking creepy, dude. I mean, just in general, him himself. I really hope they gave that poor bastard like makeup. There was some he really <laughs> could not have looked like that naturally. He was the he was pretty creepy looking, especially when you see him at the end with the other, which is as the coven's like dying. You just see like his whole head is just like bleeding down. Yes. Which people would fear have their theories about Suspiria that Pablo's was the reanimated dead and then once Hel oh, helena oh yes. died it's just you see like him just kind of like you know the blood just coming out of him he's he's dying again 
No, I could definitely get behind that theory because they're, he ain't right. And you mentioned that scene at the end and I was going to go back, which will answer one of my questions, I think, for you. Would you say that was the scariest moment for you in Suspiria? Was like, Sarah coming back? Sarah coming back. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, there was that shock value when Susie turns around and sees her body nailed to a table. With needles with through her eyes. Yes, with the needles through her eyes. Oh my God. But yeah, the, I would say the hand as, it, and I love, I live for the details of it. There's so many fine details in the cinematography, the actor's choices, whether they be the actor's choices or the director's choices or whoever, down to the de- nitty gritty details of the hand coming doesn't necessarily look masculine, doesn't necessarily look feminine as far as features of a hand. And then the door opens, it's the dead bitch no one was expecting. Because obviously Lurch was the one looking for her. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, here comes big ass man. We're about to have some sort of fight, tussle scene with big man. Uh, Not at all. No, it was the laugh too. The laugh. I'm going to have to say number one, laughing and whispering. But Whispering is number one right now. Oh, yeah, after seeing Suspiria. Funny thing is, well, let's get on the actors real quick. When we were talking about Helena Marcos' character, the woman that plays, she's not credited, unfortunately, that played Helena Marcos. Because uh-huh. uh, Dario Argento said that he found this woman. She was an old prostitute, a 90-year-old prostitute. 90? Ret- yeah, that woman was 90 years old. No fucking way. Yes. He said it was a 90-year-old prostitute that he had came across. Not that she was working. I think he said he had managed to find her or run into her somewhere, and she's 90 years old, you know, enjoying herself. And he maybe stumbled across her and just asked her to, if you were interested in a movie. Yeah. But the th- person who voiced her was Dario Argento's girlfriend. The That raspy... Beautiful. Yes. I loved it. The whole, like, you know, who is it? That was his girlfriend who was voicing. So they dubbed her voice on... Over. Yes, on the woman who played Helena Marcos. I loved it. The voice was very chilling. And not in the way of... Because she didn't necessarily sound dead or alive. There there was just an aspect of fear in her voice. Certainty of her power. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you cute little American. You're going to fuck with me. I'm literally a thousand years old. And... She did. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, I really like the character that they gave her and everything. The voice yes. is, is she had little screen time, but it was enough to pay off. From her seeing her makeup very old, withered, the long black fingernails that we associate Ooh. witches with. Yes. And it was great. Now, going back to some more actors, when we progressed through it, and you could blatantly start seeing who was being dubbed over for this and that, yeah. when you get to the part where they're outside talking to the associate that Sarah gave her information to, he came on at like the very last minute. So another reason why you don't know have any other like natural sound there is because when they're sitting under that on that bench out there the per- there's a crew member sitting underneath the bench feeding him his lines cuz he oh. did not know his lines cuz he came on so last and then another funny thing is, you probably didn't recognize this guy because most people didn't know that he did this before he came to The Exorcist. The man who played the professor, Professor Mellis, the German. Who talks about the witches. He's the priest in The Exorcist. He is the butler in The, the Exorcist. butler. Carl. If you remember the director that kind of like heckles the actress's housekeeper because yeah. he's German, he calls him, you know, a Nazi bastard. Uh-huh. That is the professor that you saw from That's Suspiria. That's why he looks so familiar. And the, the interesting thing with him now, he was speaking all German the entire time in front of Sarah Jessica, um, Jessica Harper, sorry. I almost said Sarah Jessica Parker, <laughs> but Jessica Harper. So she had no idea like how she had to, what he would do is when they were talking during the scene, he would lightly tap her on the leg to let her know that he was done with his lines and she would keep going, but she was afraid she was going to flub it because she didn't know how to react act with it because he's speaking pure German and here she is speaking American. So she doesn't know what inflections mean this and that. Interesting. But yeah, a lot of fun trivia and everything. Weird, weird thing about that scene though that I, I loved was the push through into the reflection of them talking. Mm. I don't know why that was so beautiful and captivating, but it was. Yeah, I I like it too because it just, it feels, the whole thing, okay, this is my take on Suspiria and you can jump in with this as well. Suspiria feels like a dream. Yes. It is very dreamlike with everything from the very beginning, the color schemes, because it feels so isolated. Yes. The whole situation feels isolated. Is that what you were feeling too when you were watching it? Yeah. I I mean, the 
it just gave you all sorts of all sorts of feels. I really can't put it into words, but isolated most definitely would be if I could. Because an interesting thing as well is when Sarah and Susie are in the pool, Argento told them to make as little movement as possible to keep the scene tranquil with the pool scene. Yes. That's why you didn't see that much movement going on in the pool, and they kind of just went from point A back to point B. Like, this is your mark. Come back as soon as you get to a certain point in the pool mm -hmm. to keep everything just that way. Well, now that we're talking about all the positive stuff that we liked about it, there are some things that you probably didn't like. So <laughs> let's let's hear them. What were some of the things that just about Suspiria you just didn't like? Just some of the tropes of like, what was her What was the first? Pat? Pat. Pat. She locked the door in the... What? She locked the door, keeping out the one person who was trying to keep her safe. Weird. Weird. And like I said before, the looking out the window when, like, you're scared to death. And, I mean, clearly she was going to die anyway. But if you want to delay that process, you're really just not going to look out the window. So some of the tropes are what you didn't like. Not necessarily didn't like. It's just like, oh my god, okay. But at least we didn't see a titty. There you go. I was really happy to. <laughs> it's funny to say. I was really happy not to see any titties because it gets old. A booby is a booby. I will say this: if you see any other Italian horror films like Zombie, I know it's a very generic name for a zombie film. The way they shoot this woman as she's like she's an under she's a scuba diver with her boyfriend, mm -hmm. it's done in a very tasteful way. Like it doesn't ah. feel very like gratuitous. Like she's going to go swim and take her top off because she lives in the Bahamas. See, so that makes sense. That's it. Which is another yeah. great horror film. Great gore for a zombie film and probably like one of the worst scenes for like an eyeball being impaled. <laughs> um, some other tropes, uh, Jessica Harper, bless her. She, she really is adorable, but they made her character so, so helpless. And, and I, and I get that was the point. I get that. It wasn't until the very end. Now I love a sweet spot for a, a character development moment, but at the very, very end, right before the credits, you see this sigh of relief and she touches her hair and just starts walking and is like, can finally breathe. And I feel mm -hmm. like it's it's a step forward of her development as a, as a human, if you will, in this series of movies. I don't think she's in the other ones. No, like I said, the three mothers, I'm gonna call it that, the three mothers series is all about somebody different. Oh, okay. But it really is. Like I said, Inferno's great. Mother of Tears is is great. It's 2007, so there is some things change a little bit. That you, oh, wow. I feel like Mother of Tears does lose a bit of that, that the secrecy of it. Just, uh -huh. just a little bit. But okay. I like Inferno because I like the way it starts. Oh, God, the music was so good. I really can't get over the music. Because the whispering, the like subtle beats of it perfection yeah and if you were listening closely to some of the music you could hear them say witch yes wait they weren't saying wait no they were saying witch oh my god okay see i thought they were saying wait which made it that more terrifying to me because it was during the point where sarah's running for, you know susie's fallen asleep she out and so you know she's running through the halls and literally she starts to like open this you know try to open the door and everything and i really thought it was like and I was like, oh my God, what was that? But now that it says witch, it's like still really cool, really impressive. But I, I kind of liked my version better. Absolutely. <laughs> so as we start to wrap this up, did you think, how did you feel about the whole like um, it being witches is what it was being, uh, the whole plot about That's it? That's not what I thought it was going to be at all. I'm not mad about it. I, I really enjoyed it. I, the only thing, if it was like maybe 20 minutes longer, same ending, but during a certain point, I would have loved some more information, just a smidgen more of information of the point of the dance school and why they're hiding all their coven in a dance school. I don't know why, I just want more detail. Yeah, I as will say story. it was lacking with that. There was no like reason other than just to have it as the setting yeah. and all that. Because... Which the dance school itself was freaking creepy. Oh, yeah. And you said they, the only thing, so the inside was not the real inside of that building. According to them. Because if they built all of that and that geographic wallpaper and the, oh my God, the staircase was 
is so intricate. Like everything about that set was so intricate that, I mean, shit, they probably didn't even have enough of a budget for an extra 20 minutes because that set was incredible. Yeah, I believe well, the, the exterior of the Dance real. Academy, though constructed on a studio lot in Rome, is based on the, the, the Wallhaus, which is a landmark in a late Gothic building in an old town of Germany. Yes. So they did base it off of that. So they might have shot inside of it. There wasn't that much detail about it because the film itself was filmed for four, in four months. That's it? Yep. It took four months to film the whole thing. Yep. I'm thoroughly even more impressed with this movie. Four months? Simplicity does so much. Yeah. That's true. And to uh, to go back a little bit more with, with my question I was going to ask, now that you've seen that it was about witches, let's touch base back on that last question I asked you before we started watching about women antagonists and using this concept as witches. Why are witches, in your opinion, always considered to be evil? I mean, history. I, I mean, it, it really boils down to our history, you know, as, as women, any woman that is perceived as opinionated, maybe a little bit out there, weird, awkward, any type of something that's not the norm of the societal normalcies of behavior, body type, any of it. Outside the patriarchy of what men perceive women to be. Yes, you're a witch. So... For decades, I mean centuries, witches is a bad word. I mean, that's that's what it boils down to. Witches is a bad word. It's tied to all these evil things. Which is why you... Which is unfortunately why you get some shitty movies where they're like, witches are good. It's like, please stop. Please stop. I'm not asking for every witch to be evil, but please stop with the goody two-shoe of like, I'm a good witch. The best witch movie where it's like good witches is practical magic all right i was gonna say the craft but you know okay well well can you really say they're all good witches in the craft well then again practical magic they do there is a bit of resolve in the craft where being a witch isn't bad whereas with you see like you look at the bat the history of like we'll we'll just do like a quick little like folk horror type thing with me i love folk horror and as you've seen throughout the years it starts with pagans and the whole pagan behind it is what people are like you know we, we didn't like in a Christian society. We're getting really weird with this, guys, so hold (laughs) up with this. But as it progressed, it went from that where people was like, oh, pagan's bad, but when you throw a woman into it and she has power all of a sudden, it becomes even more... It it becomes new. It becomes something that people are just like, you know, ooh, a a, a witch who's in charge... They are in charge of this, a woman that's in charge. And I think that's what gives witch movies more horror because it's not a man that's having power it's the woman having power and it's not physical power either yes it's mystical power i love it and the interesting thing is with suspiria the 2018 film that explores it a little bit more this is just one i'm not going to give too much detail away with the new one there's an investigation like with this with a missing woman mm-hmm. and they invite them in you see them like that in the film where they're talking to them like normal people that's not how it goes in the new one they humiliate them in a sense in a way the witches humiliate the investigators? Investigators, the men, in a, in a humiliating no way. No wonder you said it was a very woman empowerment it type is. move. But it does it in a very sophisticated way that the director interpreted Suspiria after seeing the original. Okay. It deals with a lot of female themes. Female anatomy can be seen in some of the artwork. Okay. It's it's a, I, I highly recommend the remake of Suspiria, but don't go in thinking you're going to see the same shock value as right. the 1977 one. Okay. But as we're starting to wrap this up, let's what would you say you'd give this rating for this film overall out of how many how many mothers would you do it? <laughs> out of the three mothers. Out of the three mothers. <laughs> <laughs> I would say like a, a two and a half out of three mothers. Out of three mothers because there were obviously some little things where I didn't like the the direction they took it. Like, you know, with the, she could have easily done the doorknob, which I know they're trying to tell a story. So not everything can be logical. And, and that's something that we have to almost like push aside when we're watching something like this is logic is sometimes out the door. Because when you're in a terrifying or traumatic incident, you're not thinking logically. 
Because there is a razor blade coming at you through a door. Your last thing is to be anywhere near that razor blade, whether you could close, keep the door closed or not. So I would say still two and a half out of three mothers, which is still a great rating. Yes, it's great. I would highly recommend to anyone who's just getting into horror or has never seen it before. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, you you saw me get annoyed with my own husband for talking during it. And you know that I talk during movies. Yes, you do. Okay, don't even give me that look because we both fucking talk (laughs) during movies. Sir. True. And uh, just going back to when, you know, uh, get people. also, if you are going to get in, into this movie, you do have to keep in mind, it was, the script was not changed. Yes. Yes. That part with, <laughs> and I forgot, I immediately forgot you said that because that scene between Olga. Sarah and Olga, when they're like, she's hissing at her and she's like, you know, sticking her tongue out of her and they're super close. <laughs> My comment, geez, make out already. And then you're like. 12 year olds and I was like oh my god that's right that is the immature mentality that you see portrayed throughout the script it is and you can even connect it with some of the naivete of these choices that these girls make in these horror situations because you know it's like since he was for 12 someone who was supposed to be 12 and now these people are 20 you think why, why are they being so dumb why are they doing this and you have to go yes. back and be like okay this is why so it, you're like all right you know yes with that mentality of information going into it with zero information, I still think it would be a a 2.5 out of 3. But with the information, that could bump it up to a 3 out of 3. Because knowing that the script was never changed is kind of brilliant. It was. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Any final thoughts real quick before we close it out? Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming (laughs) on to the show. I hope you all have been educated with this very, very sophisticated episode because this is a film that deviates from regular horror. It has an artistic style to it, and that's why I consider it one of my favorites. But thank you guys so much for coming on, and I'll catch you later, Sarah. All right. Bye, James.